and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is time for the Brit Pack United Nations to convene their latest meeting. Gorgeous George and Goes from MMA Junkie Radio are here. And from phone booth fighting, Mr. Richard Hunter is here as well. Lads, how are we doing? It's a big week of MMA this week. Bellator Friday, UFC Saturday, a whole load of great fights and a load of talking points already. And it's only, only Thursday. I love how when you look at our panel, you don't really go, hey, which one's the Brit? And then which one's the American? Where are these two? Where are these two fellas from? Argentina, Uruguay. Yeah, it's the pretty self-explanatory. You, you just go ahead and turn the sound down if you're at work or something. You get the idea just watching it. <laughs> oh dear. But that is it's a it's it's a big week this week. Do you know what? It's it's a it's a pleasant change for us on this side of the pond because a, we've got some Brits in action this week. There's like five Brits on the Bellator card. And there's a Brit over in Phoenix, Arizona at UFC 274. But more importantly than that, the Bellator show is coming from Paris, which means Friday night, I get to watch fights at a sensible hour. I don't have to kill my body clock twice in two days. So I am absolutely loving this. It's going to be, I'll be tucked up safely in my bed at about midnight on Friday night and uh, trying to get some tactical nap naps in during the day on Saturday before the usual through the night session. I'll do my best to jump on your watch along at some point during uh, during the evening as well and try and pester you guys during the show. You're not going to power through after Bellator and watch PFL week three of the regular season 2022? Do you know what? I was going to say this before, before we came on air. I know you messaged me during the week, George, about some of our picks for the uh, the fantasy MMA draft that we did last week. I think when we finish, we all seem relatively happy with what we had. Some of our teams have fallen apart, it seems, already. I mean, you picked Ali Isaev, who I don't even think is in the, in the heavyweight field in the PFL. He didn't, yeah, he didn't get, get that. In March, he was announced as part of the heavyweights, and yeah. then he didn't get his visa cleared. So there's that. And then literally minutes ago, before we came on air, uh, Ray Cooper gets on the scale, welterweight champion, misses weight by five pounds. So he's fighting, but he's he's been deducted a point already. So he's starting on minus one, and he's not going to be allowed to win any points for winning his fight. So he's on minus one, no matter what happens. That's my understanding, and it doesn't get much better because my why would you my, fight? Why would you Money? fight? I don't. I don't. Well, it stops what someone else getting points. Stop someone else getting points, doesn't it? Well, he's got to make money. He's probably yeah, got a mortgage due. You still yeah, got to get out of here. Come on, like, no points. I get taking away a point. Mm -hmm. I get that, but I think you got to at least give him the points for the win, maybe. He well, does. Maybe It'll be a bonus, minus one. And if he wins, I guess he'd become a plus two. But Simon was saying if he wins in the first round, he doesn't get the additional three, right, Simon? Oh, okay. I thought he was That's... getting no points at all. Let me double check this while while we're while we're on here. But that my understanding was he doesn't get any points. Um yeah. That might, I might have misread that to say no bonus points, but it's all a bit of a mess. Um, also, Magomed Magomed Karimov, who was my welterweight selection, he's not even there. He he's his visa's been denied, so he's not even in the country. He can't fight now. What hasn't been fully explained is whether he's out of the lineup now, or whether he just isn't fighting this this uh, this event, and the substitute will go in and fight in his place. And he's effectively one fight down. He's got one fight to win his way through. But welterweight is absolutely wide open. Richard, I think your team is the only one with an intact lineup right now. So you must be sitting, sitting looking pretty right. smug right now. 
It's a big I had weekend Casey for us. Casey O'Neill announced an injury like hours after we we went off. Excellent. Uh, it's a big weekend for us over here, uh, uh, watching the uh, the the team compete because you know we've got two uh, in action this weekend. Michael Chandler, who is uh, my lightweight, and also uh, Brandon Royball, my uh, flyweight. They're both going to be in action at UFC 274. So. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about come Sunday morning. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of a lot of points earned, and it looks as if uh, for at least at least a couple of us, a, a few points lost as well. And, Who has uh, Cooper? I forgot. Okay, so goes. that doesn't affect Goes, right? Goes can still get the points under our league, correct? Because he's okay. Yeah, All right. correct. Yeah, I'm in trouble because Magomed Karimov isn't even isn't even in the country so he's not fighting i don't get any points um but in terms of gozi's ability to earn points throughout the season gets a little bit tricky because he's obviously still got a qualifier and he's up against it now but yeah so before we even launch into the show all all hell has broken loose with the fantasy league already uh the team is falling apart all, all the teams seem to be falling apart at the seams but as you said richard we've got some great fights this weekend michael Chandler, tony ferguson is an absolute banger. Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje is an incredible title fight. Rosanami Yunus, Carla Esparza is a really interesting title fight. Let's start with that because on paper, this is an easy fight to pick based on recent, recent performances. I think Rose has operated at the higher level. She's beaten the better, the better fighters over the course of her recent career. But Carla's got a win over her. And we don't know what kind of mental mental damage uh that has done to rose namayunas um if rose beats carla esparza i saw a stat today if she beats carla esparza she will hold victories over every other fighter to have held a ufc women's strawweight belt that's an incredible an incredible stat she'd have run the table of all the other prior champions which would be quite something but you can't rule out carla esparza she's she's on great form i think everybody is kind of looking at her as an underdog going into this but She's in superb form, and I'm looking forward to this. This might not be the straightforward matchup some are thinking it is. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, you you think back, boy, that fight seems so long ago, their first match. And if you remember, Rose was the big favorite in that match, too, as I recall, uh, coming off the uh, Ultimate Fighter series. And uh, I don't think I'm right about that, right? I mean, I, I, I it seems to me she was she was a big favorite going into that fight, but um, but Carla ends up becoming the first champion. But you know, then Rose just becomes they're both drastically improved fighters. But it might be the difference between Carla Esparza being an improved fighter and Rose Namajunas just looking like a different fighter compared to what was there. You know, just like uh, like two times the level of improved fighter just this is somebody who for some reason has the same name but all of us you know now looks like a completely different fighter um so yeah but you're right i think i think for that reason um there's it it may not be the easy fight that a lot of people think it think it may be i don't know i think this is a good test for for carla esparza all of the momentum that she has been built in, been, been building and uh all, all of the improvements that she has shown, boy, I think this is just the ultimate check for it to see, you know, is it, is, does it only register against some of the other contenders uh, in the division 
or is it so for real that it's going to be apparent against uh, not only the champion, but, you know, arguably the, the best the division's ever seen? Well, I have a few answers here. I looked up the odds for that fight. It took place mm -hmm. in 2014, mm -hmm. towards the end of 2014. So we're around the uh, seven and a half year mark, I guess. And it was pretty close, Richard. On some oh, houses, okay. Rose was like a minus 122 to Carla's minus 110 or minus 110 to Carla's plus 102. But then in another house I see here, Carla was minus 130 to Rose's minus 110. So I think it's fair to say, yeah, you're right. She, Depending on what house you went to, she could have been a favorite. It would have been a slight favorite or maybe mm -hmm. even a pick them if you just look at the overall thing. Uh, seven and a half years is a long time. Could she have a mental edge, perhaps? Especially over someone like Rose, who I don't want to call her fragile, but she's gone through some moments in her career where you just wonder, wow, you know, like you, you hear about the anxiety issues or how much that bus incident affected her and shook her up. Uh, not to question, you know, her obviously being a formidable MMA fighter. And, you know, she probably didn't earn the name, the nickname Thug without pretty much sorting people out on the streets too so yeah in no way is she you know some sort of a, a wimp a chicken or anything like that it's just that this whole buildup that the ufc has become for some fighters it is just astronomical and they can't deal with it or they have a hard time dealing with it uh you know so that said it's been a long time and guys as i've been watching the countdowns and the embeddeds and i've been told this by some people that wager big money on the fights, they say, don't let that affect your decision-making when it comes to putting money down. The countdowns and stuff can be misleading. However, I still believe that now I've watched at least 15 years worth of fighting as MMA media and then another 15 as a fan to kind of now have my own uh, theories. Dude, you can't go on a bachelorette party and plan a wedding and then there's a birthday involved and you know i guess it was his birthday before she left so she he, she's showing up a few things before she gets on that plane from from southern california to to phoenix you know and uh, you know and and then i guess he had his bachelor party but i'm just saying man that seems like a lot and we had carla on the show and we said well did you leave a lot of it to him did you get a wedding planner and she said no she did most of it i just think she it's just she's going to look back and, and think, man, this was a uh, bad timing because you got to be on point by now. I think Rose exercised a lot of demons against Joanna, anything that she ever had as far as, you know, doubts and, you know, her abilities. So Carla owning a win over her is, is not as big as I, as I thought it was probably a few years ago. It's so weird. Like, do you want people seeing that? Like, even if that is what's going on in your life. I don't know. I mean, I guess from like uh, if you're somebody who enjoys watching like the Real Housewives or something like that, that could make for some compelling episodes. But I'm just thinking in terms of the message, you know, I would just whether it was real or fabricated, I just like I just have the the embedded crew following me around for a week, like scaring kids off playgrounds and stuff, you know, whether <laughs> I was really into doing that or not. They wouldn't well, be filming my wedding. <laughs> Well, let's throw it to the man who knows everything we need to know about the Real Housewives of uh, well, all the series, I guess. Goes. What's your What's your take, mate? I, I the Real Housewives and all that—that's a perfect example. Like they make shows 
because these situations can get so out of hand. So even as much as you prepare, as good as you are, there's going to be hiccups. And we see how fighters during fight week can't even be bothered to go to the car for something they forgot. You know, this is something a little bit more major. Not to mention, like, you want to look good, right? You don't want to be all bruised up and all that. All that stuff is mental stress. But what I will say about the actual fight is I think it's very obvious Rose Namajunas has gotten a lot better since that first fight, but she was completely dominated. She was dominated using wrestling. And if you look at everybody that she's fought since then, it's not like we can really point to somebody and say, wow, well, she survived that wrestler. So now we know she shored that up. Um, She's faced primarily strikers. Now, I think it'd be crazy to say that she hasn't tried to shore that up, but Carla's really good at one thing. And that one thing, if you had to pick a weakness on Rose, might be that. You know, that being said, Rose can be pretty active off her back, but Carla's pretty good at staying out of bad situations. So it is a closer fight than I think people are saying. Um, but you know what, man? Sometimes it does come down to those little intangibles. And I think right now I'm leaning towards Rose. It's a really interesting one. You made the perfect point because she hasn't really fought, uh, Rose hasn't really fought any real wrestle first opponents since since Carla and it could be a case of keep her at range work the striking and it might work for a round it might work for two rounds but then Carla might suddenly land a takedown and it might be oh no here we go again I know what this felt like before and then then we'll, then we'll see just how much Rose has evolved as a fighter because I'm sure she's worked hugely on her wrestling not just for this fight but some of her previous fights as well but we haven't really got to see it. We may well get to see it on Saturday. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be a really interesting one. Let's touch on the main event before we talk about the Chandler Ferguson fight, which I think is going to have probably the bigger talking points on this show. Oliveira versus Gaethje. Is there a better lightweight fight we can make in the UFC right now? An absolute finisher in Charles Oliveira, who has finally got himself in the right weight class for a start. Someone has actually said to him, Fight a lightweight, Charles. You're not a featherweight. Fight a lightweight and look where he is. He's a world champion. He's on an insane win streak, finishing people left and right. And he's got gold over his shoulder. And you've got Justin Gaethje, who's probably the most exciting fighter on the planet. This is going to be an absolute slam dunk. Maybe not a fight of the year contender, or you know, maybe it is. It's going to be a hell of a fight. And it's going to take something pretty special to top this one for fight of the night. But which way are you guys leaning? Because... Every time I look at a Charles Oliveira fight, I always seem to find reasons to not pick him. And then he always makes me look like a complete tit because he goes in there and produces an incredible performance, wins the fight, and looks like the world-class athlete that he is. I'm doing it again. I'm looking at Justin Gaethje saying, Gaethje can walk through this. Gaethje will walk through this. And then, you know, I think maybe it's because we've seen Oliveira break in fights, usually as a featherweight. We haven't seen it as a lightweight. So the big question is, which way are you guys leaning? I'm leaning ever so slightly towards Justin Gaethje. And I think as a as a betting a betting thing, I think the value sits with Gaethje. So for me, it's virtually a coin flip fight. So to get plus plus money, or sorry, plus odds on, on uh, Justin Gaethje, you don't see that too often. So he would be my very, very slight pick. Whether I'd put money down or not, I don't know. George, what do you reckon? Well, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about most people that I've heard talk about Oliveira, talk about the submission wizard that he is, because he holds a record, I believe, for the most submission wins. 
and he's obviously become a tougher fighter. Like you said, Simon, he used to break in, in other fights and just check out. And for example, in the Chandler fight, it looked like he could be head that way. And then he actually gutted it out, stood up, round ended. He comes back and then he came out guns a blazing, you know, and so he's really, really turned a corner in that department. But what impressed me the most, guys, was that wrestling in the Ferguson fight. Like when you when a submission wizard can add wrestling to their game and you kind of touched on this with Rose, you know, that she's obviously worked on her wrestling as well. But when a submission wizard can add wrestling to their game and they can become the person on top. Holy cow. That's a whole other animal, man. Oliveira can do so much between, you know, those flying knees the clinch, the submissions, you know, he obviously uh, is very long and wiry and strong. But if he can actually pull off one of these takedowns against Justin Gagey and get him down, man, I think Justin, that's where I think Justin can be in a lot of trouble. And uh, Habib showed it, you know, like just attacking him once you get him to the ground, you know, Gagey, that's where he lost the fight. Standing, just standing, if, if, they, if they kickbox for 25 minutes, I, fa I favor Gaethje because he does have that power. And let's face it, Oliveira can be knocked down. He still takes knockdowns. Um, so it, it all it all depends on I believe Oliveira's wrestling. And I don't. And I wouldn't have said that about two years ago. We've been covering this guy for about ten years. You never mentioned Oliveira's wrestling. But if he can get it going, then Gaethje's going to be in some trouble. If he can't, Gaethje's going to win the strap. Guys, I think just Justin Gaethje. If you look at him. He doesn't hit the ground very often. And the one guy that did take him down made it count. And that's the thing that, you know, Habib was able to do. If Oliveira can do that, he will make it count. It's just, you know, I don't know. Oliveira takes shots. And I don't know that a lot of people can take him from Justin Gagey. So really, I think it comes down to whoever imposes their will first. If Justin Gagey puts pressure on him right away, I think he's going to have a good night. But if, and if Charles Oliveira screws around, and doesn't try and get a hold of him and does try and stand and bang a little bit, it's going to be a good night for him. But I'm with you, Simon. My problem is I keep counting this guy out, and this guy keeps doing obvious things that make me look like a fool, and I just don't want to be that guy again. So out of principle and respect, I'll probably lean towards him, but I'd be lying if somebody came in and put a gun to my head. I think I'd be just engaging all day. What do you reckon, Richard? It's a tough one to pick. Harder to pick than a broken nose. Yeah, it is a uh, it is <laughs> tough. So, so I'll throw out a couple of ideas. Um, some of these I'm I'm echoing the sentiments that have been expressed earlier here, but I think Oliveira's key to success is to confuse Justin Gagey on the ground. But like Go says, he's got to get him down. Oliveira takes a lot of shots, like Go's just said, but so does Gagey. Um, now does the idea of taking shots from Gagey seem more daunting than taking shots from Oliveira? I guess, but it is, it is the UFC. It's top notch. It's top level. So taking many shots from anybody at this level is, uh, not necessarily going to be a pleasant experience. So we could get who's going to eat the most shots, the fastest to kind of get, uh, rock back on their heels. Is that Oliveira's opportunity to the ground? Because there's a decisive advantage for Oliveira. 
So while they're on their feet, you're like, all right, who's going to eat the most shots? Who's going to hit the hardest, et cetera, et cetera. But if that ends up being a momentary pathway for Oliveira to get to the ground, then I think that's his world against Gagey. The other thing you can look at, too, is how far removed are each of these guys from their bad nights, right? So when we talk about the issues with Oliveira in the past, uh, they are just that. They are in the past, but they're pretty far in the past. I mean, this guy has been on a, uh, I didn't count them up, but uh, the winning streak. I mean, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, ten. seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, yeah, ten. So, so, and he answered that question uh, against Chandler. I remember, I think it was on this show. We were all talking that, you know, we made that same point about him. And then uh, this time around, though, when, when he was fighting Michael Chandler, he looked uh, like he had an answer uh, for, for that mental challenge. Now, C- contrast that to uh, the the Khabib's uh, ground clinic on Gagey. That only goes back uh, a little over a year. So I don't know. I mean, that's some some anecdotal math I'm doing there. I guess. I guess I just if we're talking about when somebody has has looked substandard, I always like to think about how long ago was it. And uh, if it was more or less the same amount of time, that's one thing. But I think uh, Charles Oliveira has has those issues much further in his rearview mirror than Gagey does possibly remembering not only what happened with Khabib, but what could potentially happen again. And okay, quick as I say that, that is Khabib Nurmagomedov. So let's, let's mention that. It wasn't just anybody uh, wrestling and uh, uh, submitting Justin Gagey. So... All of that being said, I tend to always, if, if I'm in a spot like this, and it really is kind of a pick em spot, I tend to go with the guy that I think has the most ways to win. That, for me, is going to be Charles Oliveira. Um, that he's he's got, I think he can win this, let me put it this way, he can win this fight anywhere. Justin Gagey's got to win it on the feet. I might be oversimplifying there. But there's not a lot to grab onto here in terms of determining factors, like you mentioned, Simon. So for that reason, I'll take uh, Oliveira. It is such a tough one to pick. I mean, Oliveira, lightweight champion, obviously, as we know. Most finishes in UFC history, 18 finishes. Most submission wins, 15. Most submission wins as a lightweight, tied with Jim Miller. That's nine. And he's got the most submission wins in the featherweight division. And he hasn't fought in the featherweight division for a long time now. And he's got the most post-fight bonuses as well. Him and Donald Cerrone, who's also on this card. 18 bonuses each, those two have got. So, yeah, he's in the form of his life right now. Um, it's whether Justin Gaethje can put him through the pain barrier and really make him, you know, make him make a business decision uh, about, about his career in the cage. You know, make, put him in a spot where, does he want to keep going through this and and then see just what he's got? So really looking forward to that. That is going to be an absolute dynamite main event. I do Let's want to mention one thing, Simon, oh, if, on, if I can. Hmm. Um, you know, Oliver has been champ now for a year because he defeated Chandler uh, in the second round, I believe. And then in the yep. third round, he took out Poirier. He's yet to go rounds four and five because he hasn't really been involved in, in those fights or he ended them early. Gagey's been to a round four and lost and to a round five and one. And one. So I wonder if 
he might hold a slight advantage just knowing, you know, what it feels like to go the full 25, even though it was only one time it was against Tony Ferguson. So I, you know, I, I, that's one thing that Oliveira hasn't answered for me is that cardio, if it's needed, what if it's two, two going into round five, I'd feel better if I was holding a gagey ticket at that point. Yeah. I think if it goes past round three, I think you're, you're going to be feeling pretty good about Justin Gaethje. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a hell of a fight. But let's talk about the other lightweight fight on this card because Michael Chandler, but for a couple of split second decisions, <clears throat> could be holding a championship belt in the UFC right now. He was really, really close to defeating Charles Oliveira. Um, maybe if he poured it on just a little bit more at the end of that round, he'd have got him out of there. Um, and then obviously, start of the second round did not go his way. He fought Justin Gaethje in one of the best fights I've ever seen, but he came out on the losing end of it. This is a big fight for him, and he's got Tony Ferguson, who we haven't seen in a little while. He's come back. He was all going all guns blazing at the press conference. Really interesting interview, which we'll talk about. But this is a real almost feels like it almost sounds it sounds silly to say this, given that Chandler's barely got his feet wet in the UFC. But this almost feels like a gateway fight for him, a bit of a crossroads fight already. He's been in there with the elite guys in the division. He's been super competitive, but he's just about lost out. Now they've given him a guy who was at the top, had the longest win streak in the division. But people are beginning to wonder whether we've seen the best of Tony Ferguson. And I guess we'll find that out on Saturday night. But it's a tough fight, a difficult fight for Michael Chandler, who's admitted that he can't find sparring partners to replicate what Tony Ferguson does. They're just having to sort of do this on the fly and focus on what he's doing. But for Tony Ferguson, this feels like a, a, a even bigger fight because what happens if he wins? But more importantly, what happens if he loses? There's so much was said during during that interview, George. And uh, yeah, he was taking he was aiming the gun straight at Dana White and the UFC brass, wasn't he? During that during that media day interview, it was it was quite something. He sure was. And so I'll talk about the competitive side first. I think Ferguson, you know, losing the three straight, he's just looked bad, uh, especially in the Dariush fight, the Oliveira fight. He wasn't really competing like like Chandler was. Chandler won round one, could even argue maybe a 10-8, and almost won the title. Uh, in the Gagey fight, it was probably 1-1 going into round three, and then he fought foolishly. Now, fighters don't usually like their fighting style described that way you know foolishly or whatever low iq but i only say it because at least chandler admitted it he did some media this week where he said i don't know what i was thinking but basically that you know i, I just lost sight of the game plan and things like that and that's why in round three you know he he basically i guess all strategies went out the window and you got to give credit to KG. Gagey stayed composed, and, and he, you know, he he came out with his hand raised. But at least what I like is Chandler seems a little bit more in touch with reality, admitting his mistakes and having competed in his two previous fights. Tony Ferguson is just in this tailspin where physically he's not fighting as well as he used to, and then I think mentally he is just pointing the blame in a, in a lot of directions. I didn't see enough like self-accountability, you know, pointing back and saying, hey, I probably had a hand in this. I probably had a part in this, anything like that. It seemed like it was a coach here or management. Uh, the UFC, he started pointing the gun at them, like you said. And I think until he can figure out that, you know, he's the one in there and 
he's the one that's actually losing these fights. I just don't see Tony Ferguson being relevant in the title picture. He'll still be one of the top 20 lightweights for the UFC if they want to keep him around. He's still a dry. I agree with him there. But as far as title contention, I that ship sailed. I, I expect Michael Chandler to win here. Um, as far as what he said to Dana White, look, he's right in that all fighters are probably underpaid when you collectively as a group only make 18% of the revenue compared to what the company makes, at least according to those lawsuits where the discovery's been done. And, you know, I think we can accurately throw out a number like that. He's right, right? But the fighters don't think that way. They think individually. They all feel like they're worth a little bit more than they than they really are. And, and the reality is, guys, they aren't because the UFC's proven that you could take a five-year break if you want. See you in five years. You got to fight for us. The contract is ziplocked and sealed, airtight. You're not going to fight for anyone else. But guess what? The UFC keeps breaking revenue record after revenue record after revenue record. And that includes the McGregor's, the Diaz brothers, whoever, whoever wants to take time off, go for it. You see Dana White saying, we're make fights here every Saturday. You want to fight? You know my number. He's gotten tired of it, honestly, at this point, because he knows the recipe. The UFC's what sells. So in reality, they really don't have much leverage. You know what I mean? Only collectively do they have leverage, but because they'll never do that, it's it's really hard to I, – I find it hard to fight with the – side with Tony Ferguson on this one, man. And, and on top of the fact that he's a grown man just like the four of us. You signed a contract. You agreed to these terms. If you thought things were going to change in four years or after your fourth fight out of eight, then maybe you should have only signed a four-fight contract. You know what I mean? You can negotiate a lot of that stuff against the UFC. You feel like you can't, but um, the UFC doesn't make it easy. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Uh, you know, Tony Ferguson hasn't been fighting one. I think he fought once in 2017, 2018, 2020. He hasn't been fighting much, honestly, and he just basically got shoved aside by all the new stars that are out there. So it's just the way it works, man. Um, you know, you, for whatever time you are here, you got to make the most of it, and every fighter is going to go through this. You agree with that, guys? I'll be honest. I have a certain degree of of sympathy for Tony Ferguson in some regard. I think I think he's been the nearly man of the division. Um, he was so close to becoming the champion. He had the interim belt. He had that freak accident on the Fox the Fox lot, the fight with Khabib never happened when he was at his absolute peak. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if one day we see Tony Ferguson fighting for Khabib at Eagle FC. That would just be, that would just be the, like a, the bizarre turnaround that I could, I could see that happening in like 18 months, two years time. If things don't work out for him with the UFC, that they might end up hooking up if not as opponents, but as business partners. Uh, a little bit further down the line, but what did you what did you make of his comments and what what's your assessment of of his position right now? I don't think he's making a whole lot of sense, and I think George hit the nail on the head. That there's not much accountability in the things that he says. Um, I agree. Like, look, that was a huge win streak. I do think that they could have treated him a little bit better, but the point is, right now, he's just not in a position to be puffing out his chest. He needs a victory. And I think this fight's going to come down to who's going to be the smarter fighter that night. And I have a feeling that you're right, Simon. I think maybe he could end up in Eagle FC or something because you make these types of comments with the UFC, I don't know that you're going to last that that long. 
Uh, if you didn't like this matchup, you definitely won't like the next one if you survive it. But I think Michael Chandler um, is going to fight a little bit smarter in this fight. And I think he, you know, Tony Ferguson gets hit a lot. So does Michael Chandler. That's why, I mean, it comes down to the smarter fighter that night. And Michael Chandler, I think, has been able to show us that he can make adjustments in fight in fights. He can look a little different from fight to fight. Tony Ferguson is kind of like a Diaz brother in the sense that he just, this is who I am and I'm showing up. Now, I'm either going to be better than you that night or not. But I haven't seen much change from him. And I think uh, especially that camp with Henry Hooft and all those guys, I think they've probably solved this riddle. And I think it'll be a good night for Michael Chandler. But Tony Ferguson, uh, unfortunately, I feel bad for some of the things he's had to go through, through in his life. But I think he's also his own worst enemy. Yeah. What do you reckon, Richard? I mean, obviously you're back in Michael Chandler, right? He's part of your he's part of your team, but I think That's the smart right. man's gonna... got to be on him, right? Yeah, he's going to put us on the board. But yeah, even if he wasn't uh, a member of my team, uh, this is an easier fight for me to pick, and it's Chandler. Both these guys are on skids, but as somebody just pointed out a minute ago, Chandler's skid is, is uh, you know, but for a left turn when you could have turned right or a split second here or a split second there. Ferguson's, I think, to me, has been much more of a of a deconstruction of abilities and an erosion of abilities. And that's not to say he's not still a great fighter. But, you know, we all had that that period, you know, like you said, where he was he was the almost guy. I mean, we we kept almost getting him and Khabib, he had the crazy long winning streak. But then when all that finally ran its course, and um, I, I guess I always think back to that that Gagey fight, you know, and you you talk about these fights that could just change somebody, take a piece of them away. It's hard to be the same fighter after all that. I think, you know, you look at something like that, and then you also realize that sometimes, for whatever reason, the styles – and the, the diversity that has gotten a fighter to where they are at some point as you age, you that that may go away. It doesn't mean you lose all your fighting skills. It doesn't mean you, like you, you say, you can't still be top 20. Um, but that thing that made you that perennial contender uh, may have, for whatever reason, uh, left in the night. So this is this is definitely a Chandler pick for me. Now, as far as the business side of this and everything that that Ferguson is saying, I think he's he's completely right in that uh, the the fighters don't get anywhere near the percentage that is probably fair. But the thing is, there's so many people that say this now; it's hardly even news. I mean, I guess it's news if you kind of come up with a creative way to say it or something. But I'll be honest, when I saw this, I mean, I kind of, I could see just from the link, the headline, like what he had said. I got around to reading it eventually, but it wasn't like, oh, shit, one of the UFC fighters is criticizing the pay scale. You know, I was like, oh, okay, well, check that out a little bit later. Um, and, And the thing is, it's not that they're all right because they are fundamentally they're right. Okay. But Big business doesn't care. That's the bottom line. Big business doesn't have compassion. It doesn't have a heart. It's like saying people in the world should be nicer. Well, that's true, but it's not going to happen. And so we can say it 
And we can say, you know, if you're you've got Elon Musk money, you should be spending more of that to to take care of the world's problem. I 100% agree. But but big business only cares about getting bigger, and it certainly is evident in the fight game. You can't have the the unions because they're not team sports and you know, you, 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 the only time to do something like that is at the very beginning. If you'd have gone back to the very beginning when nobody made 10 bucks in the UFC, you could have, in theory, done it then. But now that you got people spread out all over the pay scale, they get somebody just pointed it out. The guys that make the big money, yeah, too bad for you if you don't make the money I make, but I got to worry about maintaining my ridiculously extravagant lifestyle. So uh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Um, it just, it just never changes. We're just talking about something that will, the only way that will ever change is if it had to change. And the only way it would have to change is if the UFC started having their bottom line affected and people started not buying UFC pay-per-views because they don't like the way that the fighters are treated. I don't think anybody likes the way that Amazon workers are treated, but I don't see a bunch of people canceling their Amazon prime memberships. Yeah, it is, it is a fair point. Yeah, and mobilizing a, a disparate group of athletes. The only way you could do it is through the management. And even then, you know, you would need all the managers and management teams to talk to each other. And that in Simon, itself would be a challenge. And here's the problem with that. You may think your manager has your best interest at heart if you're a mid-carder, but what if he also manages the heavyweight champion of the world? He's not going to be too excited to get involved in something like that because he's making the majority of his money from that top tier client who isn't having any trouble with the UFC. You know, that guy's headlining pay-per-views and he's making his money, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I've always thought that's been a problem with agents, you know, in other leagues. So like the NFL, for example, because I've talked to agents about, I've talked to agents, I've talked to players about this occasionally, like players that I've known. And they said it's easy in a league sport because let's say you play football and you're a you know offensive lineman. I I knew a guy who was a center in the NFL, right? And so he said, yeah, what his agent does, he pulls up who's got the best center stats. Where do you compare to that? How much does that guy make? He writes all this down on a piece of paper. He slides it across the table, and he's already got this formula worked out. And he's like, that's what the value is. That's what we're going to take. And then he's got a range, you know, that he'll he'll go for. With this, I think it's a lot more arbitrary than that. I mean, there's still comparisons you can make, but you're not comparing it to a league standard so much. There's a lot of intangibles like, well, yeah, but when my guy gets on the mic, he can sell a fight. You don't see that come up in NFL negotiations. Nah, it is a tricky one. It is a tricky one, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens after Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson? I think we're all probably of a similar mind in terms of who we think is going to win. But uh, what happens after will be very interesting. Also, it would be interesting to see what happens to Michael Chandler next. Something big, I would imagine. And maybe even, I mean, Conor McGregor I've heard mentioned as well. So who knows? Michael Chandler, Conor McGregor would be one hell of a fight. Guys, there's a whole load of great fights on this card. So even running down even running down the uh, the prelims, but... Let's talk about the main card opener, just to finish off this, this this bit. Donald Cerrone, Joe Lozon, two guys who are real OGs of the game, who've been in the UFC for a long, long time. And it feels almost, almost like a loser leaves town kind of fight. It's one of those where, you know, we could end up seeing a retirement in the cage at the end of this. I don't know. Um, 
but you just get the feeling that that might be possible. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on this? I mean, you guys will have spoken to both Don Donald and Joe over the course of many many years. Uh, Joe is a great guy to talk to. He's a real student of the game, and obviously Cowboy, one of the most beloved fighters in not just UFC history but MMA history, I would say. So, um, give us your take on this one because I think this is this is a really really important fight, and that's the fight that's going to kick off the pay per view. All right, so I'll I'll go. I'll go. um, I think Joe Lazan's probably going to retire either way. Last time he fought was a few years ago, and it was a, I believe it was a win in Boston. Perfect opportunity to just exit then, and he didn't. Um, He never retired, also, but he told us, you know, that one would be hard to top. And you know, looking back, maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't have, but he made his decision, and that's that. He's fighting. You know, um, Donald Cerrone, another legend, somebody he always wanted to mix it up with. So good on him, and I'm sure he's going to get paid handsomely. It was Jonathan Pierce. Bless you, whoever that was. It was Jonathan Pierce that he beat in 2019. So I'm led to believe that Lausanne, win or lose, can retire because I think he feels like he was fulfilled on the night he beat Jonathan Pierce. And this right here would just be awesome if he could beat Cerrone. And I think he would re- be fine retiring then. And if he were to lose, I think he'd be fine as well because I think he he kind of almost had like um, a, a farewell of sorts within within himself in this past fight. Now, as far as Cerrone goes, he's never been interested in the sport of MMA. You ask him much about other fights going on or anything going on, he doesn't know too much. He's all about his ranch and now his family. Uh, dare I say he almost played the system pretty good. Remember, there was a time when he and GSP and Kane and TJ Dillashaw and Tim Kennedy all got together and they almost formed an association with former Bellator president Bjorn Rebney. That one, by the way, was the one I felt like, wow, that one might have some teeth because you always need superstars leading the way, and you had a few there. Then he said a few weeks later, a few days later, I, 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 didn't, I don't know why I was involved. I don't know how I got involved. I'm out. But guess what, guys? In his last Where six fights... I? In his last six fights, he's cashed some big checks. He cashes like 200000 just to show. He doesn't even worry about the win or the loss bonus, plus his little Venom pay or Reebok pay. And I think what he's thought is, you know what? I'm just going to stay quiet, and there's really not much I can do to change anything while I'm in, while I'm competing. So I'm just going to milk it and go out there and fight. I, I bet you he probably does 50% of a camp than what he used to when he was younger, partly because the body doesn't hold up, partly because he probably doesn't even need to. And if he loses, he's fine with it. Um, now, that said, I think he'll win this weekend. I may have put Lozano on my staff picks just because I think of the two. I like him better. But uh, Cerrone's tough still. You know, he's still a hard kicker. He still has pretty damn good jiu-jitsu and cardio. And that's where Lozano, man. Lozano, after about seven and a half minutes, he goes down. So I'm going to take Cerrone to win. But, again, Tony Ferguson should maybe learn something here. If he can put his ego to the side, he is a name that the UFC can use. And prior to him opening his mouth 24 hours ago, it sounded like Dana White had said both him and Chandler were safe. So even the loser would be safe. I don't know about it now. What do you reckon, guys? Well, I'm going to go with Cerrone as well. I just think he's the longer fighter. I think uh, I think he has a little bit less wear and tear. Joe is on he was really, really active. I mean, not that Donald Cerrone wasn't, but 
uh, like George mentioned in an interview, he told us, he goes, basically the only reason I don't really come out and say I'm retired is because I'm still holding out that I think we will have this Boston card. And I'd like to maybe give that one more try. But for the most part, Donald Cerrone, when he's not fighting, he's still kind of training. There's still people on his ranch. Um, Joe Lozon helps train other fighters, but he doesn't really train himself, I don't think, as much as he used to because his head's just not really into it anymore. You know, he's kind of said it himself. So um, I do think one of the two will probably no longer fight after this fight. But I think I, I honestly think Donald Cerrone will, will probably keep going as long as Dana White lets him. I think Joe Lazon's the only guy that would probably say, okay, it's time for me to walk away. But you just keep giving Cerrone paychecks. He'll keep showing up, man. What do you reckon, Richard? Yeah, this is – it's kind of tough to pick in a different way, right, than the main event that we were talking about. But there is kind of an interesting theory to the idea that Cerrone – I think doesn't mind losing so much as he doesn't mind fighting, I guess. Um, he, you know, so, so Cerrone, I think goes, it feels like Cerrone goes into the office, if you will, on a given fight night, just expecting a fight. I'm sure hoping for a victory but the wins and losses, let me put it this way. May, there may never be a greater example of a, a fighter with that length of resume than Donald Cerrone where wins and losses mattered less. You're talking about an absolute first ballot Hall of Famer who's going to leave the sport never having held a UFC title. Um, and who... Some of his best fights have been losses. I mean, if you're really just going to talk, I mean, some of them have been wins as well, but it's like, it's, I don't know that I can anecdotally, if I can think of another fighter off the top of my head who has successfully blurred that line more that you think about performance uh, more so than you think about wins and losses. And I'm talking about somebody who's been able to stay around for as long as he has, because most fighters who alternate back and forth between wins and losses and things like that. And sometimes have the, you know, the, the bad nights like against Connor and all that, they don't stick around. They don't end up, they can't have all the years under their belt that Cerrone has ended up having. So I think that Cerrone may, may be on more of a multi-fight skid than Joe Lozon, but as it was brought up, Lozon just hasn't been as active. I think if Lozon had been that active, he would probably have as many losses at, or close to it as Cerrone um, has had. So, yeah, I mean, I guess for that reason, I'm going to pick Donald Cerrone. I just, this is a tough fight to pick. Like I said, it's kind of the antithesis of the main event in that you're, you're kind of looking for little nuggets to pick out of, um, you know, the last few years of what you have or haven't seen from these fighters. And that's a little difficult to find too. Uh, so yeah, I guess I got Cerrone in this. I just, two quick points I did want to make one, this card top to bottom. And I don't know why I have this feeling. I'm talking about the main card for a while now. I just can't remember the last time that I've looked at a, a UFC main card top to bottom and thought, 
Every one of these has, is compelling to me. Every one of these is interesting. I even want to see OSP and Shogun Hua, right? So, it, and I know I've been there with the UFC before, and I don't know if it's just because of the number of fight cards and coming out of the pandemic and everything's getting back to normal and all that, but it just seems like so many more times than not lately, there's been a couple of fights I'm looking forward to for sure, but it's been those couple of fights, right, as opposed to the card. This is one of those that just for the first time in a while, I've had that feeling of, I'm going to be there sitting down right when this starts because I'm I'm interested in every one of those. Uh, second point, at some point, somebody has to do a, a deep dive uh, uh, investigation to really uh, unearth what happened with that union deal. Uh, because I was at that press conference. And the thing I loved about it was Bjorn Rebney. Because this guy... He's like, I mean, he's not, he was never competition for Dana White, but he was always there. He was always just kind of lurking around, right? And he always had a briefcase in his hand. That was the other thing I remembered. Like a good heel manager, you know, who always has something to hit the baby face with when the referee's distracted. He always had the mysterious briefcase and he was always, he was always calculating a plan. He was always hatching something. And I remember that press conference and all, like you said, all those top stars were there and then nothing else ever came out. Somebody needs to do a retrospective of that story the way they need to do a retrospective of the Yama pit when that happened. Cause that's another one that went away almost as quickly as it showed up. Yeah. There's, there's probably quite a few of those you could probably think of as well. Uh, like affliction. Whatever happened to affliction? You know, affliction. So, I mean, this would be to, this so would, this many. Would be, it would it would be like the thirty for thirty series comprised of things no one wants to remember. That's what this would be. <laughs> Unwanted memories on Netflix. Yeah, Simon, nice. did you yes. share your thoughts on what you thought of Tony Mer Ferguson's little meltdown there on the mic versus the UFC? I, I can't remember. Did you mention anything? Kind of did. I mean, like, I. I have a certain amount of sympathy for him in regard to I think he's had he's fallen on hard times a little bit and I think he feels a little bit let down but and I also think that the basis of some of the things he was saying made some sense but as you said when it comes to these performances in the cage you know you're in there on your own it's a team sport when you're getting ready but once you're in there it's an individual sport and you know I don't necessarily think that you know, his performances in the cage have, have, have helped him outside of the cage too much. But it, yeah, I mean, you've just got to be a little bit smart, haven't you? I mean, I don't know what he stands to gain from, from saying the things that he said. You know, he's not going to suddenly get the entire UFC roster going, yeah, Tony, we're all with you. Let's all march on the UFC HQ and demand this and this and that. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And you know, the, the the one point that he mentioned that I do think is something that would be a really, really good thing. If the UFC don't institute it themselves, it would be an incredible thing for a potential sponsor to do in the same way that, um, was it uh, Marshall, Marshall Inu are now sponsoring fighters? I mean, you know, that's a, that's, that's a PR thing. But if someone could come in and actually pay for medical insurance for these guys, that would be a really, really big PR win. Not just I thought for they have that. that did it. I thought so, they have year-round insurance now. I don't think they have personal uh, medical insurance as such. Yeah, they they have it, but it's qualified. 
It, exactly. Right. It's like it's if it's the fight related and things like that. But I know what you're saying. Like, come in with the Cadillac plan. You know, be like, mm. you know, we're we're you're getting top notch uh, insurance. I'll tell you another one, Simon. How about this one? Retirement plans, pension plans. Have a private firm come in and do that as yes. a sponsor. You I'm know? Into that. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of these careers where if you do well, you can earn relatively well out of it. But for a lot of these fighters who maybe don't quite make it to sort of the rank, sort of the rank positions, a lot of the money they earn is going straight into their training. It's just being recycled, and they're, you know, investing money is is obviously hugely important to those guys because you know it's it's going to disappear and you need shrewd financial advice and it's it is a tricky thing so even that side of the even that side of the business is a, is a, is a tricky one but yeah i mean i as i say i don't know what tony really stood to gain from it other than to get it off his chest he's he was clearly he clearly wanted to get it you know wanted to get it off his chest but at the end of the day he goes in and wins fights and performs in the way that we know that he's capable of a lot of these problems are going to solve themselves and he's going to get the attention that he wants. He's going to get the bigger contracts that he wants. Um, but yeah, I fear that we may have seen the peak of his career. We'll find out on Saturday. I mean, I'm picking Michael Chandler for this fight. I still think Michael Chandler could win a lightweight title in the UFC. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, I am a big fan of Tony Ferguson as a fighter. I think he's done incredible things in the octagon. I do fear that perhaps his best days may be, uh, maybe behind him but we'll find out and i'm happy to be proved wrong if that is the case but it's going to be a, a great fight card on saturday night just wanted to shout out danny roberts we have one brit this is the brit pack united nations we have one brit on this card he's taking on francisco trinaldo um who is almost as old as i am and uh he's moved up to welterweight a couple of fights ago from lightweight he's taking on danny roberts Danny Roberts, if he wins this, it'll be his first three-fight win streak in the UFC. He's had a few two-fight win streaks. But the way that he's been booked, he seems to be the guy that gets the fighters that no one else wants to fight. Tricky Brazilians, really tough Russians. And these are the guys that Danny's been getting. And he's got Francisco Trinaldo, who is as, as tough and as durable as they come. So um, I had a really good chat with him uh, earlier this week. That is up on our Brit Pack podcast feed right now. You can also get it on the Britpack website, thebritpack.substack.com. That, I think, probably just about wraps us up for, for this week on the United Nations. Huge fight night on Saturday night, live on ESPN Plus pay-per-view in the States, live on BT Sport here in the UK. Make sure you check into George and Gozi's Watch Along on MMA Junkie as well. If you're in the UK, get on the VPN because you can't get it without the VPN, jump on the VPN, join uh, George and goes for the watch along. Tell him I sent you and uh, I might even hop on there myself. Should be a really good fight night. And uh, we'll speak to you in a week's time. <laughs>